So glad that you are here this morning. If you want to stand with us, we're going to start our time together. Time of song, time of praise, time of worship.
phenomenal, y'all. Oh my goodness. Now I understand why I didn't make the tryouts, because y'all are just incredible. Uh, welcome. My name is Clint. I'm the associate pastor here at Community Life. We are so thankful, honestly, that you are here joining us in the family room or online, wherever you find yourself, whatever you walked in here with today. Man, I pray that you just leave it at the door and allow yourself to experience hope and joy and the message that God has for you today. We are so grateful, so thankful that you would gather with us today. And we're gonna continue to worship by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, we love you. We are so grateful for this morning, for this time we can gather our hearts together, a time where we can worship you, a moment where we can just lay all our cares and worries, our anxieties, all of those things that we walked in here with, we can just lay those at your feet and know that you are big enough to take care of them and you love us enough to take those away from us. So God, I pray that over the next few minutes, you would help us to focus our hearts and our minds, our attention, our affection on who you are and how you're alive in this world around us and present to us right now. We love you and we give you thanks. And it's in your son Jesus' mighty name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen, let's just turn our complete attention to Jesus, our one and only this morning. He's got something so special for us today. Bye. 
it all aside just to focus on you, Jesus. solid ground. Christ and Christ alone. Uh, things happen. Wind and waves come to knock us down, but our hope and our strength comes from Jesus. And I hope that you can say that I'm not standing on shaky sand this morning, but I'm standing on the rock who is Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Um, it's just so easy in this world, in this time, and especially when seasons come, the unexpected happens. And uh, so often, it discourages us and it makes our heart feel, uh, our, our faith feel feel shaky. But again, God always has a plan. So as we sing this next song, we're, t- we're such power and assurance and security in these words that Jesus is our hope. He's our living hope. Let's continue to worship him this morning.
Jesus, we lift your name up. We thank you so much for the hope, the freedom. We thank you uh, that when you died for us, Lord, when you were raised again, that you broke the chains uh, of all those things that try to hold us back and keep us from you. And so this morning, we just stand here as your children, declaring your praise, lifting your name up, recognizing your power, recognizing your authority over all things. We love you. We thank you that your presence is here. Do a work in us today as Scott comes to deliver the word. Um, Lord, we just ask for your will to be done. We set our own thoughts, our own minds aside, and we focus on you and what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for singing and worshiping. Before you're seated, try to find somebody maybe you don't know. Turn around and greet someone. Welcome them here. If it's a new face, welcome them to CLC. Thank you for coming today. Well, good morning. Wasn't worship just awesome? Wasn't that incredible? Can we give the band a big round of applause and all the singers? It's just amazing. Well, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today um, at Community Life Church on this, um, at the current moment, beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in the family room or have you joining us online. Uh, it means the world to us um, that, that you would take time to, to just hang out with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover that source of life, that you won't just hold on to it, but yes, absolutely hold on to it, but then share it with every other person that you come into contact with. And we believe that source of life is limitless. And um, one thing I've discovered is that um, this world likes to suck the life out of us. Is that fair? So when you have found the source of life, you better grab a hold of it and share it with everybody that you can. Amen? All right. So a couple quick announcements, and then, and then we'll jump into um, the second part of, of our new series um, on James. So let's start by talking about um, fall launch, or uh, the team doesn't like it call fall, to call it fall launch. So let's just say when everybody comes back to church, like everybody. Um, that's on August 6th. That's blessing of the backpacks. That's get your kids acclimated to, for the week. That's all of that stuff. So on August 6th, everybody's going to be coming piling back in, and that's the day when we go to three full services, and those new service times will be 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And so what we're asking you to consider, oh, and all three services are the same with one exception. Um, we have youth ministry, middle school and high school that will be at 10 and 11.30. They will not be at the, at the 8.30 service. And so what we're asking you to consider is maybe to go to the bookends because our feeling is everybody's probably going to try and pile in at 10. And here's what I know about y'all. You're going to do whatever you want to anyways until it blows up and then you're going to adjust. And that's what's going to happen. The month of August is going to be us all figuring out um, where we're going to be. So we're excited. Uh, just get ready and let's see what God is doing. The growth has been tremendous and, and just looking forward to seeing what God has in store for us. And if you find yourself in a different service, you're going to meet a whole new batch of friends. So, um, so looking forward to that time coming up. 
Um, the, the other announcement is, so last Sunday, we were all ready to go for the beach baptism bash for kids ministry. We had 40 children ready to be baptized, and so it's 6.30, we're down on Navarre Beach, and um, it looked like a, a hurricane. I'm just going to tell you, it was lightning and crazy, it was dark, and Kristen looked at me and said, do you think we can pull it off? I said, you know, I don't think so. We should probably cancel and, and move it back. And so that's what we did. We moved the beach baptism bash to August 6th, because why not? Let's just do everything on that one day, right? So that's going to be at 6.30, same time frame. If you were registered, we ask that you please register again. Here's the cool thing. Some of you weren't able to make it on that night, so now this is going to allow our list to even grow more. One of the cool stories about that is so we're sitting there um, and, and she had the registration list and we're just all calling people trying to let everybody know that we're going to go ahead and cancel it. And um, three adults and a child show up and they're like, we're not afraid of lightning. <laughs> and they said, are you afraid of lightning? And I said, I don't know, Tammy, am I afraid of lightning? And she said, well, your life insurance is paid up. <laughs> so we baptized three adults and one child the other day. Isn't that awesome? That was cool. Um, to say that their baptism was electric is an understatement. No, that, no, that was not even funny. But anyways, it was, it was interesting, and we've got pictures to prove it, and we'll roll those into when we actually get to, get to pull that night off. And, and, then, and then last but not least, um, the, there's so many things going on at the church, so many exciting things. If you're here in person and online, we'll get you the QR codes. But if you're here in person on the chair in front of you, um, there are two QR codes. The one on the left, that's an active QR code. It'll take you to a page where you can find all of the upcoming events. So maybe you're new today and you're just trying to figure out about this crazy church. Um, welcome. And maybe look over some of those things. I'll tell you a little bit about um, who we are. The one on the right is our giving um, QR code. Uh, if you want to connect with our church in terms of giving, we would love for you to do that. You know, the heartbeat of this church is faithful giving. There are so many people here that just give every single week of, of not only their time, and, but, their, but their resource. And we're so grateful for that. It allows us to continue to, to lean into our mission and lean into our ministry. We don't have to talk about money a lot because of your faithfulness. So, so thank you for, for doing that. And if you want to connect, maybe you've been coming for a little while, you can do that through that code on the right. If you're an old school check writer or, or cash giver, um, there are boxes here in the building. And, um, and you can give that way as well. We love you just as much, I promise. Um, and we work so hard to make sure that every dollar that comes into this church is used to connect people to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I've worked at many churches in my life. This church, the way that we handle resource, I'm most proud of. And, and by the way, if you have questions about finance, come let us know and we'll walk you alongside and let you see those numbers. Um, we're proud of the work that we're doing here, that you're doing here in this community and, um, and grateful for, for the way that you contribute. Okay, um, so we're in a series, today's week two, um, where we're, we're walking through the letter of James, and by walking through the letter of James, we're hopping around the letter of James, and I'll explain that in a moment. But here's the tagline for this series, transformative faith, doing the next best thing. Now, I, I wish I wouldn't have named it that, I don't know why I did, because it sounds like doing the next best thing as in not the best thing, just doing the next best thing. Here, here's a better way to look at it. For James, he believes that faith is transformative, and if you take a step in your faith, then it will start to transform. So just do what you know to be best, and then just do what you know to be best. Just continue to do the next thing that is best in your life. And um, what James would tell you is as you do that, you experience your faith growing and transforming your life. And so that's the series that we're in. 
Um, we're working through this, this letter of James. And I'll tell you um, that I, I love, love the message today. I'm a person, you've heard me say this from time to time, that uh, my uh, challenge that I carry in life is anxiety. So I'm a, I'm a person that just, that's, I just run with an anxious energy, and I'm, God's helping me learn that and walk through that. And, and so I, would, I thought after I got through, not got through, as I wonderfully made it through the first service, to get here that anxiety wouldn't be as much it's still here. It's still my friend. It's still hanging around. And, um, and here's why I think it is. And I'll just go ahead and set the expectation. There is something in this message today that I think is a key that can help you to unlock things that you've been struggling with for a long time. And my anxiousness comes from getting in the way. I don't want to get in the way. I want to present the message in a way that, that and God does this so beautifully. God can take it, use it, and minister to your life and bring you to a whole new place. And so forget this guy and his wringing of the hands and all that stuff and listen to the scripture and the word and, and see if God doesn't have a message just for you today. So let's start off with some, some foundational um, pieces to know about James. So James, the letter of James, it's known as a general epistle. And the word epistle, if you didn't grow up in church, that's just a fancy word to make us try and sound smart. It means letter. I don't know why we don't just call it the general letter. Um, and it's a letter that's termed general because of the content. It, it, it's, it's wide encompassing content, but there are seven general letters in our New Testament. Uh, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. Those are all letters that are written to a wider swath of people, really generally the, the Jews or the Israelites. So, so from the beginning of the assumption when you read them that they're writing to an audience who has a baseline of faith and that baseline of faith is Judaism. Now that's going to matter a little bit later on in the message because you have to realize the context to whom James is writing to. But this letter is general in nature. Um, it's the instruction that's offered there is practical. So practical life lessons about faith, about the trials that we walk through, about suffering, um, family relationships, husbands, wives, faith, wisdom, verses. And this will make sense to you. If you go and you read in the New Testament the letters that were written by Paul, they were written to a specific community about a specific issue, and then he offers information about that issue. These seven general letters encompass a lot of thoughts and a lot of topics. So it just, that's where the term general comes from. So when you encounter them in our New Testament, you know that you can look at them and understand that it's just to take and it's to learn and it's to add to your life. So key things to remember about James and about this, this letter that we're looking at. The first thing to talk about is the author which we believe to be James. And if you've read anything in our New Testament, then you know there are multiple James that you might consider. Well, biblical scholars believe that the James that wrote this letter is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Now you say, why the half-brother? Scripture tells us that, that Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus. And they had multiple children. But here's the interesting thing. So they have these other children, but in John chapter uh, 7 verse 5, John tells us that these other brothers and sisters, namely brothers, did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so while Jesus was alive and walking the face of this earth, in their heart of hearts, his blood brothers and sisters, his half brothers and sisters, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah or believed that he was the Son of God. So let's just, in a comical moment, consider this. Many of you have older brothers and sisters. And some of your older brothers and sisters claim to be the son or the daughter of God, right? I mean, just to be funny, they think they're pretty awesome stuff. What would it take 
for you to believe that your brother or your sister was the only begotten son of God. For James, it meant him dying and coming back to life because that's what changed in his heart when he saw Jesus in the resurrected state. It brought him to a whole new place in his faith. And ultimately, James becomes the pastor at the church in Jerusalem, and he starts to nurture and care for that church um, and really grow them into a, a predominant force and help them to navigate through the many changes that were in front of them. Um, one of the things that I think is most helpful when you think about this, this document, if you were to go and read James on your own, is to know that James, the letter of James, is believed to be one of the first of our New Testament documents that was written. And, and so what that means is James, when he wrote his letter, and I'm sure there was other writings, but James, when he wrote his letter, there weren't other writings to pattern after. So when James, when, when later Paul starts to write his letters, he could use James' writing. He could even maybe possibly use some of the gospels as they were written, depending on when they fall out, to help shape the narrative and to offer insight that would go forward. James just comes out and he writes this as the first offering to help connect people to their faith. Now, why is that interesting? Well, James, being a, an Israelite, being a Jewish believer, he only had what we would call the Old Testament, but to them, it was their testament as a guide for how he would write. So when you go and you study this letter of James, you have to know that it's written like an Old Testament book, like a, like a proverb, if you would. It, it, he writes a point, and then he gives you information about that, and then he closes that point off. And then in the very next sentence, he opens up a new point, or he asks a question, he gives you some information about it, and then he closes it off. And the truth is, in his letter, there are about 15 different parables, I call them sermons, that they've collated together and presented them as the letter, a general letter to everybody. So being a Gen Xer, this is how I had to study this letter. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I, I took my Bible and I went into the, to the copy machine and I flipped it over and I copied each and every one of those pages. And then I cut out all 15 of those individual sermons and I laid them out on my desk and then I started reading. And if they were even remotely related to another topic in James, I put them in a pile. And then after I got done putting them in a pile, I then used this really amazing technology called Scotch tape. And I taped it to another piece of paper and then I photocopied it again. And then I sat down and I studied it. And what it allowed me to do is to see the topics closely gathered together so I could pull the different narratives. Make any sense? So you could see those thoughts kind of together to see what it was that he was saying, right? So, um, so anyways, that, that's why I did it that way. And, and, and so in that fashion, that's the way we've been studying it. Um, because what's, what's strange about James, and, and I said this last week, is you can be reading a topic about a trial or suffering, and then you get to the last sentence, and then the very next sentence, there's no transition. There's no, hey, let's talk about something else. He just starts talking about something else. So you're not taking things out of context. You're trying to figure out and see how he's relating them. And so what I found in this studying is that James offers us keys, keys in some of his message that you can use to unlock some of the other points. 
But those keys don't come in the first chapter helping you to unlock the second chapter. Sometimes, you, and this is what we're going to do today, we're going to go to the second chapter, we're going to dig out a set of keys that are going to help us to understand something in the first chapter a little bit more. But, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me say this. Last week in week one, we looked at three of these mini sermons or mini parables, and the topics were about trials, temptations, and suffering. And what you need to know about James, if you go read it, is that one of the things that James does to his audience is he challenges you to think about things differently. So if we're going to talk about trials, temptations, and sufferings, he says, let's talk about trials. And the truth is, none of us like to go through trials unless you're just a, whatever. I don't know. None of us like trials. We don't like to go through hard times innately. We, we learn that. He says, I want you to consider trials to be joy. And here's why. Because when you go through a trial, it starts to mature you. It builds endurance inside you and it makes you better. So something that we all may look at and not like and maybe even blame God for, he says, welcome it with open arms because it's gonna bring you to a mature place. So he starts to reshape your mind about that. Does the same thing with temptations. He says, you might get mad about God for temptations, but God is not the one that tempts you. God is not evil. He's not gonna tempt you with something evil. You yourself. And so he calls us to look inwardly and see our own brokenness and how we fall into these temptations. And then on the, the last one, he talks about sufferings. And he says, sufferings, you know, we're only aware of our own life, but he challenges us to think about a farmer, the early rains and the late rains, and that there's a bigger narrative and a bigger picture that's going on. And we need to trust the sovereign God who's waiting for the full harvest. We don't want anybody to be left out. And here's the kicker to all of it. In every one of those areas, he also challenges the way that we think about God in all of them. In terms of trials, God is not just trying to mess us up and give us a hard time. You maybe have that image in your life where a church has presented you an image of a God that is just running you through the ringer. Uh-uh. James says, uh-uh, that's not the way God works. If you're in a trial and you don't have wisdom, pray and God will give you wisdom. He tries to let us think about God in a different way. The God who is with you in the trial that wants you to succeed. Temptations, he said, God is not the one that tempts you with evil. No, no, no. God wants to give you good things. Recognize God as being the good one in your life. And here's the kicker. When we lean into the life where we start to get rid of the things that so consume us and start to embrace the things that are good for us, then we are transformed and our lives look different to the world that's around us. We become what he calls the first fruits of creation. That when the world looks at us, they see a better picture or a better image of God because we're embracing the good things of God. Not some of the imagery that we've seen of churches that are beating us up. When people look at those churches, they're like, if that's God, I don't want anything to do with it. If we lived into the true nature of the God that gives us good things, our appearance would be different. And then finally, same thing with suffering. Understand there's a God who wants to experience the full harvest. So just know this, part of what James is doing in his letter is challenging our thinking and bringing us to a different place. Today, we're going to look at two sections of scripture that I believe give us the keys, as I've already said, to help unlock other parts, meaning putting our faith in action. Because for James, faith wasn't just an intellectual assent, faith was transformative. For him, you cannot separate faith from action. If you ask James, does he have faith? He would say, yes, and my faith moves me. It's not static. And so understanding him, how he presents that, gives us keys for the rest of, the, of this letter. Um, and here's what I think James does. I'm going to set it up and then we'll go and we'll read it. James does something so interesting in his letter. So first of all, let's think about his audience. His audience, they're Jewish believers or they're, they're Jewish people. So they have a baseline of belief um, in the God that is one. They understand their commandments and they have 
a system of belief. And so if you just think, how does Jesus go and teach when Jesus walked this earth? Well, Jesus went and he challenged his fellow Israelites' faith. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. Well, I say to you, don't even be angry with your brother or sister, right? And what Jesus does is he takes the intellectual ascent of understanding a command and he activates it and it connects it from their heart. I mean, excuse me, this is not their heart. Nah, their brain to their heart. That, that journey, he says, it's more important for you to understand the heart reason behind it that might ultimately lead you to committing murder. He says, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even lust after a woman inside your heart. He, he connects it from the brain to the heart. So, so in essence, what Jesus is saying is, it's not enough for you, it's not okay for you to hate everything about your brother or sister, but stop just short of committing murder, right? Like, like it, it's one thing to know the rule, and I, I cannot stand you, but guess what? I'm doing good because I haven't murdered you. For Jesus, that wasn't okay. Or to be consumed with lust and have it just take over your life, and, but guess what? I've not committed adultery. Jesus says, you're missing the point. Jesus is causing us to activate our faith and to put it in action and cause a transformation to happen in our hearts. I believe in this letter, James is doing the very same thing. He's calling them um, to, a, to, a, to the same place to activate their faith. So we're gonna start in James chapter two, and we're gonna look at verse 14 all the way down through um, 26. And it's interesting. So this is where being in the 1030 service pays off because there were some people came, asked me some questions after the nine o'clock service, and you're going to get a little bit more of a cleaned up message. How about that? Um, <laughs> or maybe I'll mess it up some more just so we can see how, how well you're paying attention. So in James chapter two, if you were to look at the thought, the parable, or the, the point of what we're going to talk about, the point is faith without works is dead. And now he's going to tell you about that. Verse 14, he asks us two questions. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? There's the second question. We hear that question and we're like, ah. Because this, in all of our theology, but I want, I want you to know that James thinks of the word faith differently, okay? So he's not, he's, anyways, I'm gonna keep moving. In verse 15, he gives us a story to go with those two questions. So we ask the question, can faith save you? And here's the scenario. If a brother or sister, notice he doesn't say a random stranger that you don't know, he makes it personal, whether this is a familial or whether this is a believer, a fellow believer. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. So think about this story. What he's saying is if you see a brother or sister and you know that they have a need and you have something uh, and you're able to do something about it, but here's the twist. They don't just walk away. They actually speak a blessing over this person, but then they refuse to be the blessing to that person or the reason that God maybe placed you in that scenario and you walk away. What James says is that type of faith is dead. That is not an act of faith because James says the faith that I believe in would cause you to respond in some way. And I'm gonna tell you when I read that, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. 
it causes you to have to wrestle with it and look at it. And so what you need to know about James is when he talks about faith, it's more than just an intellectual assent. It is a belief that moves you, that transforms you, that calls you to action. Everybody with me to this point? All right, here we go. We're going to continue on. Verse 18. And this is where he starts to spin it up a little bit. So he's in the same thought and he's going to round it out. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says to that person, you show me your faith apart from your works and I by my works will show you my faith. And what he, I read this a thousand times this week and really struggled to get it. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you can't separate the two. You can say you have an intellectual assent and you can do works. But if you have a true faith, you cannot separate it from the act of doing something with it. So by definition, James' definition, that faith is active. It's going to do something in your heart, in your life, and it's going to show up in your life. So he's redefining, he's giving you the purpose and the awareness of what faith is all about. And as if that wasn't enough point, here comes James, the teacher. He's going to give us one more shot. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Now listen to this, verse 19, or end of the rest. He says, even the demons believe and shudder. So check this out. He says, you believe that God is one. Even the demons have that same intellectual assent, so much so that it causes them fear. But are we all going to say that the demons have such a faith that it is a faith that saves or justifies? No, because their faith hasn't transformed them or brought them to a different place or to a reverence or to a yielding. And so he says, you say you have faith, they do too. So can you see that he's giving you a difference in a belief? It's not just a thought process. It's not just an awareness of, of believing in God. It is, it is understanding and knowing the presence of God and what that faith does in your life. And so here we go, verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown? And this is where I said he's a tough teacher. He says, you senseless person. Now, did he need to say that? He did, probably needed to say that. He says, did you want to, do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? And then he gives us two examples, one with Abraham and one with Rahab. He says, was not, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. The two were together and faith was brought to completion by the works. And so they work hand in, in hand. Thus, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone or intellectual assent alone. Verse 25, likewise was not Rahab, and this is a story found in Joshua, the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road. And so when Joshua was going in the promised land and they were sending spies into Jericho, um, Rahab, a prostitute, protected them, cared for them. And when the, when the crowd came to get them, sent them out by a different way. And scripture tells us that she was justified in the way that she protected them. Her, her, her actions were justified as righteous in that moment. And so James lifts those up as their faith was proven by their actions or by the works that they placed in their lives. And then he gives us the statement finally, verse 20. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. In other words, you cannot have one without the other. For James, they go together. Now I'll tell you, and this is where I'll just, I'll add a little statement. I had 13 seconds to think about it before I got on stage. So if I make it worse, okay. Um, someone immediately came up after service and said, I'm struggling with this message because I have a, a, a father, a friend, a loved one, and we prayed the salvation prayer before they passed, and um, they didn't have time to do works in their life. 
We're not talking about a math equation. We're talking about an active faith that transforms your heart. It transforms your mind. Time is not, time is not relevant in that situation. Think of the person on the cross. Jesus is sitting next to the thief on the cross. And what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That thief did not have a chance to get down and go do something that would merit. So it's not about the amount. It's about the faith. It's about the belief that transforms the heart and calls us to repentance. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? So don't fall into the trap of saying, well, look at all of these things that I've done, right? This is where you get into the battle of James versus Paul. And when we get into September, October, and we dive into Galatians, we'll revisit back to this. And we'll talk about the fact that I believe they're talking about the same exact thing. James is just the first writing out there. And maybe Paul cleans it up by giving us better words to, to talk about it. Does that help? Okay. So, um, so if you just stop for a second and you think about what we just read, I honestly believe that what James gives us is a key or a set of keys. That now if you're aware of how James talks about our faith being active in our lives, you can go into the three or four other topics in James where he talks about a different type of, two different types of wisdom, or he talks about this world and, and one side versus the other, and you can understand how he wants us to activate our faith. Here's the other thing. Oh man, I almost forgot this. This is, this is probably the most clarifying part for me. Remember his context. So he's, he's talking to a group of Jewish believers, and it would be easy for them to say, well, James, I have God, and that's enough. And James says, it's, it's one thing to know that you have God. It's another thing to take what God has placed in your life and activate it. Does that even clarify even more? So when you think about his context, he's trying to activate their faith. So we're going to move out back to uh, James chapter 1, and we're going to read through uh, verses 19 um, through 25, and we're going to use what we just learned now to further dive into this section of Scripture. And there is a truth in these last verses I did not see as I was going through and studying, and, and I'm going to tell you it's going to hope, I hope, gives you a light bulb moment that will help you in your studying and, and maybe even in life going forward. So James starts off with these first three verses and you have to read them and come back to pull out what maybe the parable is. And if I was to tell you what the parable was, my, my, or the, the, the proverb is, what, if I was to tell you what the proverb is, it is if you want to produce God's righteousness in your life, then you need to be transformed. Now that's not rocket science, but if you want to produce God's righteousness in your life, then we need to be transformed, allow God to do a work inside of us. And here we go. Here are the three verses. He says, you must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So he's, he's putting us in action. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. So the point is about producing God's righteousness. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness, which is like impurity or moving away from God or things that aren't in line with God, from all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. And so right away, he gives us this key and challenges us to think about this awareness of producing God's righteousness in our lives. That if we wanna see God's righteousness, then there's some transformation that has to happen. Not all of us are quick to listen. Amen. Don't, don't say it. Not all of us are slow to speak, right? If somebody comes after you, you're ready to respond before they even get done. Not all of us are slow to anger. So he's giving us steps, actual ways to take and to activate what we know to be right. If we want to live into God's righteousness, he's giving us simple steps to start to go to do that. 
So he builds that premise. Now he's going to back it up with the rest of the verses. Verse 22, he restates the premise, but uses different words. He says, but be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. So if we're back to faith without works or dead, he says, but I want you to do something with it. Don't just hear about it. Do something. He's trying to activate them. That's verse 22. And here's where we get to the good stuff. Verse 23. He says, for if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in the mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. So he says, those who hear, but don't do, look into the mirror, see the image that's looking back at them, and then they walk away and they don't actually live into the image that they see in the mirror. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. Some of you um, think back to your um, younger days. I don't know what that means. Um, Think back to your younger days. And before you went out on a Friday night, you may have heard something like this. Don't forget who you are. Some of you are like, ah, like I just, I just hit, I triggered you right there for a moment, right? Like, don't forget who you are. And that was mom and dad's last ditch attempt at, at saying, behave yourself, right? Like wherever you're going, don't forget who you are. Um, my, my parents never said that. They, dad had a different way to, to instill in me those things. And I, and I talked about this not long ago. That, so my dad grew up in the foster care system. Uh, his family, and he didn't share a lot of this when, when we were younger, but there were there were some real challenges. And so it was difficult for dad to say, hey, you know, be like your grandpa in this way, because there wasn't a lot of those examples. So what my dad would do is he would pull those things out of his family that you could really edify and and support and encourage your family with. And he'd say, hey, Scott, one of the things you need to know about your family is your family works hard. If somebody hires a Verano, they're going to get a hard worker. Now, when I was 19, 20, 21, I like to say I own that. I don't know. It took me years to get to the point to where I'm like, Scott, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now when I show up, I'm going to go work hard because that's the lineage and that's the family that I come from, right? Look in the mirror, see who you are, and then walk away and either be that self or go do something else. So he's saying a person who's just a hearer and not a doer forgets who they're supposed to be. Check out this next set of verses. This blew my mind away. He says, but, verse 25, those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. And something happens in this last set of verses that I love when I encountered in scripture. James gives us two phrases that we've not read yet in the letter of James. And those two phrases are the perfect law and the law of liberty. And I remember when I read it and I got it in my Bible, highlighted, circled, boxed with stars around it and is drawn to different parts of the Bible. That's why it was important for me to cut up these things and put them around. I was like, what is this perfect law and what is this law of liberty? Well, do you know when he goes into chapter two, he explains, he gives you another key to understanding the law of liberty. And what he says in chapter two is he says, um, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So he says, let's say you live your whole life and you, you keep according to the whole law. You don't murder, you don't steal, you don't do all those things, but then all of a sudden you commit adultery. I want you to know you've broken and are accountable to the whole law. He says, you just break one part of the law, you're accountable to the whole law. And so what he does, he goes on and he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. And then he inserts this understanding of mercy and grace. 
Who do you think he's talking about in the law of liberty? A person. What's that person's name? Jesus. The law of liberty is Jesus. The only one who fulfilled the law and didn't make any mistakes. The one who was without blemish was there. The one who offered us mercy, who came, not my will, but thy will be done. And he yielded his life so that we, the broken ones, can call upon his mercy because we have sin in our lives and we can receive forgiveness because we take his righteousness onto our lives. And so in essence, what he does, and it's so masterful, is he says, the, oh, I'm gonna read it because I'll mess it up. He says, but those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. What he's saying is, those who look in the mirror and see Jesus and then turn and walk away and live Jesus, those are the ones who are living into that perfect law, that law of liberty. So in essence, he doesn't just give us the keys to unlock our faith. He gives us the image. In other words, have faith, activate your faith, look in the mirror, that perfect law, and see that it's been revealed in Jesus. And when you go live in this world, it's not live your true authentic self. It's live out the life of Christ, not my will, but thy will be done. And why is that important? Because we're gonna mess up. And when we mess up, do you know what? You go back and you look in the mirror and you see the one who was merciful that loved us and you take that and you apply it back to life. And he's saying that's the one who becomes not just a hearer, but a doer of the word. And so he talks to us about activating our faith, but he also gives us the image of the one that we are supposed to personify in life. Not self, Jesus. That's the mirror that we're looking into. Don't walk away and forget the image that you're looking at. That's what we're called to live into. I thought that was awesome. And so anyways, I looked at it. I thought it was great. Trying to understand it. It'll be a key for you as you go through and you continue to read on through the rest of James. So for James, you've seen the image. Don't forget who you are, or maybe more importantly, whose you are. So on the surface, looking at these two sections of scripture, the message is really simple, right? I mean, James doesn't leave us to have to guess. The first thing is activate your faith. Be transformed. Move it from a, a simple head knowledge to now connect it to your heart. It's the difference between being a historian who believes that there was a person named Jesus who lived during a certain time and taught these messages and writes them all down and pushes them out to the world, and a person who believes that that Jesus walked this earth was sent here by God, and I'm going to take those words and I'm going to use them in my life to shape me. That's the difference. He says, activate that, allow it to shape your life. And then the second part is to use the image of what faith looks like. Look into that perfect law, that law of liberty, which is Jesus. And when you do that, allow it to shape and allow it to be the life that goes forward. Now, I'm gonna tell you that's simple, right? We should all be able to do that. Activate your faith, live like Jesus. We got this. Or do we? And I'll ask the question, if this is so simple, What's the problem? If this is so simple, why does the body of Christ such a hot mess? If this is so simple, why do churches look more like the world than they do like Christ? Some of you may be here for the very first time and, and, and you're back there and you're going, yeah, 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 come on, give me some more of that, right? Like, because you've been abused, you've been hurt, you've had, you've had the church um, unload on you in ways that, that you're like, if that's God, I don't know that I want anything to do with that God, right? So if it's that simple, where is it that we've gone wrong? And here's, here's what I want to tell you. 
and this will be a reminder for some of you, that the battle we face today is the very same battle that humanity has been facing from day one. That we look into the mirror, we see God, his goodness, his mercy, his love, his righteousness, his justice, his peace, and then we walk away and we decide, you know what? God would look a little bit better if we just did things my way. And we've been trying to shape God in our image from the very beginning, which causes me to wake up in the morning to this very same question almost every morning. How's that working out for you? And I'm, I'm not trying to throw, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm trying to remind us that for James, he's uniquely pointing at the challenge that we all face, and it's ourselves. Um, I wrote down this quote. I love it. It's, it's, it was actually a quote from the War of 1812. We have met the enemy, and the enemy is ours. We've seen the enemy, and we are the enemy, right? So often, we're the ones that cause our own mistakes. And so, so here it is. I'm not throwing shade. I'm not guilting anyone. I'm not trying to cause you a hard time. Here's what I want you to say. Understand. It's a simple reminder that great faith starts with simple steps. So if you're here today and you've been a believer your whole life, don't forget the simple steps. If you're here today and life is an absolute chaotic, total disaster, just start with these simple steps. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Start to pray. Start to allow... I could go down a list of a thousand things. The very simple first steps, because those simple steps are what ultimately leads to great faith. So if today you're looking at what you hope to someday be, you're not gonna get there unless you take the first step and just start to process. Because for James, if you have faith in your life, it'll start to transform and it'll bring you to a different place. So, so maybe as the first thought, consider that. The second thought is this, that maybe if you don't know Jesus, my hope and my prayer for you is that you will look into this life of Jesus, the, the God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus, and that you will choose to allow his life to become your own. And that you'll allow the decisions that Jesus made and, and to, to become your own, to live in a different way. C can you become the most awesome person on this planet? Yep. And can you impact some part of society? Yep. But I want you to know that if you allow your life to be transformed, you can change this world for eternity. And the hearts and the lives that you impact, it'll be for all time. If you just allow this work to begin inside of your heart, maybe by simply opening up and saying, Jesus, be my Lord, start to shape my life. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and I thank you for the, for the heartbeat of this message. It seems so simple, but <laughs> we wake up every single day with ourselves. Sometimes our own worst nightmare, God looking us back in the mirror. And I pray that at some point we would quit seeing ourselves in the mirror and we would start to see your son, Jesus, his love, his heart, his beauty, his compassion for us. The fact that, that you would take that cross to offer us forgiveness for some of the worst things that we've ever done. I pray that that belief would transform us and bring us to a place where we say, God, I'm sorry and I repent for what I've done. And Lord, start that transformation process inside of me. Lord, I pray that that would be the move of ourselves, the move of this church in this community so that when people look at us, they don't see Community Life Church, they see an image of the God that loves them. Lord, I, I, I pray that that's our heart and that's where we're headed. 
God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And as we sing this final song, um, Addie's down front here. I'll be on this other side. Um, We would love to pray with you this morning. The altars are open if you want to come down and spend some time in prayer. Um, We invite you to do that as well. something to take with you wherever you go this week I pray that through your face showing up that others would see the image of Christ through the things that you do and you're just living out your faith if you're new with us if this may be your first or second Sunday with us come meet us in the next steps room just right out in the lobby we'd love to get you connected get you plugged in and see how you can continue uh, to grow in this this community um, as you're living out your faith and looking for ways uh, to help maybe you just start this morning 
was showing a little grace to each other in the parking lot right here at church. Uh, live that faith out in real and practical ways starting right away. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are so grateful, so thankful uh, that you would call us yours, that you would give us your image and that you would call us to uh, live our faith out in real ways to this world around us. God, as we look around, it is so obvious that this world desperately needs more of you. So help us to be your people who grow in our faith step by step, just doing the next best thing. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a great week.